Thanks for joining the Church at Nolensville Sermon Podcast. We exist to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Anytime, anywhere, with anybody. What were you thinking? Raise your hands if you've ever had that said to you or said that to someone else. What were you thinking? If you're a parent, my assumption is you've probably said that to one or all of your kids at some point. I remember one time, Caleb, Maddie, I'm going to tell on y'all just a little bit, but they were much younger, but I, I got a call from Caleb, who was probably about six at the time. Dad, 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 where, 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 where are you right now? Buddy? What's going on? Well, well, what happened was, and you know when they say what happened was, it's about to, about to go off the rails. He said, hey, everything's fine, but Maddie and I were riding down the stairs on an air mattress together. <laughs> Where's your mom? Oh, she's watching. You know? And everything was fine. They were taking turns on the air mattress one at a time and everything was fine, but they decided that they would ride together and that changed the, the velocity of their exit down the stairs and Maddie hit her forehead right here on one of the metal spindles and got a cut. She didn't need stitches, but got a cut right there. And you're like, what were you thinking? You know, we as kids, we don't always think. Our frontal lobes, in fact, are not, are not fully developed. We don't always make the best decision when we're young. And that's fine when you're little. That's kind of the point is you don't always make the best decisions. But, but what about when you're older? I'm 42. What about when you're older, when it comes to your relationships, your future, your career? How often have you said, what was I thinking? Or maybe in the South, someone said, do you bless your heart? Have y'all heard that? <laughs> y'all do know that's not a positive thing, right? <laughs> what? Was I thinking? And quite often you say, what was I thinking? And there are moments, there are decisions, there are times in your life that haunt you, that echo you, that, that bring up pain and shame. And what we're learning in this series is, hey, man, Jesus came to set you free, to offer you life, to offer you forgiveness, to offer you peace. We're trying to live a whole life, the whole way. And the question is, why do we so often then live in self-destructive patterns. We're learning how to love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. And today as we talk about the mind, it was C.S. Lewis that said, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about who you are. Because if we're properly thinking about God, if that's true, then, then why often do so many of us not experience more abundant joy? more life-giving purpose if we're thinking properly about God. You see, we're either not thinking about God enough or we're thinking about him wrongly. See, God made us in his image, but then we just return the favor and we create God in our own image. But as a church, I want us to fully engage God with, with our hearts, with our souls, and our minds. And not somewhere or sometime, but with Everybody, all the time, because our mission statement is to engage the whole person with the whole gospel anywhere, anytime, and with anybody. And I want us to think rightly, to be thoughtful, to be mindful, to be careful and aware of his presence and the presence of others around us. To engage the whole person with the whole gospel anywhere, anytime, with anybody. And today we're going to talk about 
the mind. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Jesus dropping the greatest commandment on us. We'll put it up here on the screen. This is what we've been studying here in Matthew chapter 22. We'll put it up on the screen. Let's put the verse up on the screen. Teacher, Matthew 22, he says, which is the greatest command in the law? Or which command in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. And then Jesus said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets point to these. And today we're going to look back where he says, hey, love the Lord your God with all your mind. If you've missed the last two weeks when we talked about heart and soul, we podcast all of our sermons. You can go to church at nolensville.com and catch up. But today we're going to be talking about loving the Lord your God with all your mind. And listen, if you step into what we've been talking about, and you want to engage the whole person with the whole gospel anywhere, anytime, with anybody. And you want to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. You need to know you have all the resources of heaven for you. But you also need to know that the enemy will then be against you. But it's important that we do this. Because it's what God has called us to. And in our culture, we, we don't want to be what O.S. Guinness wrote his book about that said fit bodies but fat minds we want to be intellectually prudent and sharp reasonable and aware of who god is and what he said it was adolf hitler who said how fortunate is it for us leaders that men don't think and i think our enemy would quote that how fortunate is it that most believers just don't think. And we, we want to be a culture, we want to be a church who thinks God's thoughts after him. That it's just dripping out of our conversations, that it's welling up in our lives, that it's shaking, shaping my decisions, that his words are coming out of my life. And we celebrate who God is because we know who he is. And we don't want to just be Bible Jeopardy experts that can answer any quiz and pass any test, but it doesn't impact who we are and how we live. No, we want to be transformed so that we make a difference in our world. And Jesus said, renew your mind. And what if that was possible, church, that you really could be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that angst and fear and struggles could go away, that we could literally have a transforming of our mind, that we don't have to give in, but we could be transformed. What if that were true? And I think, it, I think it's possible. I think it's possible because God says it's possible. And today we're going to engage our minds. And to engage our minds, we're going to think deeply about who God is. And there's a passage of scripture that we're just going to walk through. We're going to jump out of the commandment Jesus gave us, but we're going to step into a passage of scripture that's going to engage our minds and think deeply about who God is. And it's found in the book of Romans chapter 11. Verses 33 through 36. So if you find Romans chapter 11 in your Bible and turn there. If you don't know where Romans is, go to the table of context. That's okay. Contents, table of contents. Go somewhere and find it. Go and look, cheat off your neighbor, but find Romans 11. And once you've found it, let's stand together out of honor of reading God's word. This is a... A song that Paul is actually about to sing right in the middle of the book of Romans he's going to break out in song and look at what he says Paul says oh the depths 
of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given a gift to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. And to him be the glory forever. Amen. Oh, the depths, the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. God, we, we want to know you. We want to be transformed by who you are. So God, I pray you'd move among us as we listen to your word, that it would shape us and mold us and form us into your image. God, speak mightily in these moments. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. So what you're looking at here in these verses it's really the climax of everything that Paul has said up until this point in the book of Romans. And throughout the book of Romans, if you're new to the scripture, Paul is really like a skilled lawyer. And he's explaining in great detail how God has lavished his love and his grace and his mercy on us. He's providing for us a detailed explanation of salvation that's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And after doing so, it's so spectacular that he literally just breaks into song, a doxology. It's really this short hymn of praise. And Paul just breaks out in song. And, and Paul, he's a very straightforward, very doctrinal, very intellectual man. And something just breaks inside of him and he begins to sing. And it's because I think worship is a right response to right theology, the understanding of God. Man, when we, with our heart and with our soul and today with our mind, understand who God is, it leads us to worship. It shapes us and it changes us. And Paul has been writing about and thinking about and detailing the story of God and salvation. He, he can't help but just worship for a little bit. And if we engage our minds in the truths of who God is in these verses, it, it changes us. And I just want to back up and let's just begin to look at these verses. So look at verse 33. Look at how Paul begins. Paul begins by saying, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Paul says, oh, the depths. He's just outlined, as I said, 11 chapters of truths about who God is, perhaps the finest piece of theological literature ever written. And Paul gets to this point and he goes, there's so much more of God that I haven't even yet to begin to explain or even understand. I haven't even gotten to the bottom of who God is yet. Oh, the depths. It's a big deal. Oh, the depths. Paul could have said, oh, the heights of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, but he didn't. That would also be true, oh, the heights, but he chose, oh, the depths for a reason because there's a significant difference between depth and height. You see, it's the difference between like the high branches that you see on a tree and the deep roots that sustain it. The roots sustain the height and the breadth of any tree that you see. So as spectacular as any tree would appear, it's the roots beneath the surface that sustain it. And a tree cannot exist or grow to its full height and glory without the roots. And here's what Paul is saying. Oh, the depths. He's saying everything is rooted in who God is and everything therefore exists by God and for God. So listen this morning. Oh, the depth says to you. No matter who you are, where you're from, the reason why you exist, your family, your wealth, your career, your life, and ultimately your death. 
belongs to God and is to exist for God, that everything was created by God and for God. Oh, the depths. He's saying God is the sustainer and provider of everything. And then in this verse, he mentions three great things about God. Look back at verse 33 and see if you recognize them. See what he says here. He says, oh, the depths. But look at the next word that he says. Oh, the depths. Let's go to the next slide. Oh, the depths of what's the word? The riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. I'm not sure if this is a new concept for you or not, but it's good to remember. I think I've done this once or twice. But did you know that God owns everything, yes or no? Look at your neighbor and say, God owns everything, and you don't. Look at your other neighbor tell me, yeah, that's true for you too. <laughs> See, Psalms 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in. Everything belongs to the Lord. Deuteronomy 10, 14 paints a bigger picture. It says, behold, to the Lord your God belong the heavens and the heavens of the heavens and the earth and all that's in it. Everything belongs to God. So you don't own a house. God owns a house and he's entrusted at you. You don't own a car. You don't own a pair of shoes. You don't own anything. God owns everything and he's entrusted it to you. And God is rich Because he owns and creates everything, including you and everything that you possess. But he also owns the heavens and the heavens above the heavens. Nothing exists beyond God. Every corner of the universe belongs to God. Every bank account, car, flat screen, golf clubs, iPhone, laptop, couch, chair, wallet, purse, bed, closet. Every Spotify playlist belongs to God. Except for maybe boy bands. I don't really know if he would take credit for those. Everything belongs to God. Oh, the riches of God. There's not one square inch of all that is that doesn't belong to God. And listen to me. It's not his because he took it by force. Although who could really stop him? It's his because he created it, provided it, and sustains it. Oh, the depths of the riches of God, Paul says. Because God made everything, sustains everything, and is therefore the rightful owner. And what's more, not only does he own everything, he can make as much or more of anything he wants out of nothing. It's like literally, in this moment, he could say, you know, we need another universe. And there it is. How many of y'all can do that? Raise your hands. It's easy to count. But guys, how cool would that be if you're watching football on Saturday and you're out of sweet tea and you just, sweet tea! (laughs) God can make as much as he wants of anything he wants, anytime he wants. Therefore, his riches are limitless. He's not bound by resource or material. He just makes it. And he's of infinite value. But take it even further. He's not of infinite value. The depths of his riches are not simply because he can make anything he wants whenever he wants. He's of infinite value. Listen, because he himself is the greatest treasure of the universe. He's rich because he is the greatest treasure in the universe. And we so often believe 
that happiness and joy is a destination in our future and not God himself. God is rich because he is the treasure. It's not the right school, the right job, the right spouse, or the right career. It's knowing God. And that brings ultimate joy and satisfaction. It's not found in people, places, or things. And those things aren't evil or bad, but they're not supposed to be our ultimate joy. God is. And God is rich because he is the infinite treasure of the universe. So Paul says, oh, the depths. God is beneath all things, sustains all things. The riches He provides all things and he is the treasure your heart wants. And then look what he says next. Oh, the depths of the riches. And then what's next? Wisdom and knowledge of God. Paul uses both here. He uses wisdom and he uses knowledge. And at times in the scriptures, those can be almost interchangeable. But but Paul has a difference in mind here. And I'll, I'll put up on the screen the difference that Paul has in mind. Knowledge... It's just the awareness of facts. Hey, I know these things are true. I know this data is true. I've memorized these particular points. It's just the awareness of facts. But wisdom is very different than knowledge because wisdom is the awareness of how to use those facts for good. Ever been around somebody that's incredibly book smart but can't really function? Are they with you right now? Don't look at them. There's some people that know a lot, but can't do anything with it. They don't have any wisdom. So they know a lot of truth, but it it doesn't guide their life because they don't know how to use those facts for good. But God's knowledge and wisdom is incredibly deep because he not only knows everything, but he knows how to use it well. He knows every recorded fact, every bit of code on every computer, every word and every language and every sentence and every paragraph and every book ever written. Every bit of truth, math, science, history, you name it, he knows it. He knows at what temperature the stars burn at, the height of every mountain, the depth of every ocean. He knows every detail of all of his creation, every thought, past, present, future. He knows all of it and how they affect one another. And in this moment, without the slightest bead of sweat on his forehead, He's holding the universe together, Colossians says, by the word of his mouth. He's keeping the stars in orbit. He's making it rain and keeping it from raining. He's making the wind blow and keeping it from blowing. He's curing cancer. He's giving wisdom and listening to the prayers of a few billion people, comforting the half a million who are mourning, listening to the prayers of 100,000 people, opening the hearts to the gospel and all the other stuff I can't even imagine. And he's doing that without the slightest bit of stress or pressure because he's both rich in wisdom and knowledge. He knows everything about his creation. But he also knows how to take every nuance, moment, fact, truth, and event and and use it for good, which is namely his glory. To create in us a heart of worship for our creator. He's rich in both wisdom and and knowledge and worshiping God with all of our heart all of our soul and all of our mind means we have to take ourselves off the throne that says I I don't know what's best and I don't know how to guide my life and I don't know how to direct my future and God at at my core and my heart and my soul and my mind I want to look to you and your truth and your wisdom and we know God's smart And we know God's smarter than us. 
Nobody would stand up like, I'll beat him in jeopardy right now. Let's go. Nobody would do that. But if you look at the pattern of your decision making, how often, say that's an amen. (laughs) If you look at the pattern of your decision making, how often does your life say to God, I'm smarter than you? How often do the decisions that you make, the direction of your life say, I know what's best. Part of transforming our mind and renewing our mind is believing what Paul said to be true. Oh, the depths of his wisdom and his knowledge. He knows all things. I don't. And he can guide all things towards good. Does that mean all things are good? No. It says God works all things together for good. So I want to submit to you because look what Paul says next in verse 33 I want to submit to you because of how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways show of hands how many of y'all watch sports know about sports yeah right now in case y'all don't know the Astros have tied it back up it's 2-2 I'm from Houston so Okay, that was really weak. I'm really (laughs) disappointed, a little grieved. Um, We'll try that again. Hey, the Astros have tied it up. It's 2-2 in the World Series. Yeah, a little bit forced, but I'll take it. Um, Do you know the speed at which people play the game is, it's just, it blows my mind. The speed at which professional sports happens astounds me. 100 plus mile an hour fastballs. Football players, they can run 22 miles an hour. And then they have to discern in a moment, did he step out of bounds? Did that hit the corner? Was it a strike? Was it not? Was it a catch? Was it pass interference? And when a call is in question, they have instant replay. In that moment, they turn it over to the people in the replay booth and they adjudicate the matter. A coach can throw a flag, a red flag, and say, hey, I don't agree with that call. Send it to the experts and slow it down frame by frame, play by play, moment by moment, and let's decide what's true. And how many of y'all have ever watched instant replay happen in a big game and all of the commentators that make a lot of money, two of them think it's true and two of them think, no, they should overturn it. Even frame by frame, moment by moment, they still go, it's really hard to tell. It's a judgment call. It's kind of a toss up here. Even though we watched it millisecond by millisecond, I still don't know what happened. I'm still not sure what the right call is in this moment. But someone then has to make a final judgment. Half the people are going to be upset. Half the people are going to be glad. Because a verdict has to be rendered. Even though they've slowed it down frame by frame, moment by moment. They still have trouble figuring out what the right decision is. But that's not true for God. God doesn't need instant replay on your life. God doesn't need a big screen, a couple of different angles, half a dozen angels around him to adjudicate what's right and what's wrong. That's why Paul said, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. He knows all. He created all. He's good. He's sovereign. He doesn't have to pause time, look at your life and go, should I have done that? I don't know. Is that a good choice for their life to move them in this way? I don't know. 
They're unsearchable and they're inscrutable. And if you're like me, the question of why often pops up in my mind. Why? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? I've told you on numerous occasions, Kim and I have been married going on 22 years, but the first seven or eight years of our life, we went through six miscarriages. We have three amazing kids now, but it didn't, it didn't begin that way. And we were new believers, and we had to figure out, can I trust God? Can I not? Are his ways really unsearchable and really inscrutable? And does he really know all things? And does he have wisdom and knowledge that works all things together for good? Because this stinks right now. And people would walk up, and they would say, hey, hey, don't worry. God will work all things together for good. And I would think, does that include me punching you? You work that out? Life's hard. Life's messy. And sometimes, can we just be honest, it hurts and we feel confused. Amen? Part of renewing our mind is believing things that are true no matter what we see or face. And in those moments, Kim and I were pressed deeper and deeper and deeper into who our God is. And who our God claims to be. And we walked with him and we talked with him and he showed us he never leaves and he never forsakes. He didn't say this life would be easy. He didn't say we wouldn't have scars. He didn't say it wouldn't have pain and trouble. But he said, I'll be with you and I'll stick closer than a brother. And the more we got to know the God behind our why, the less our why popped up. Because I know who God is. I know who he is. I know the amount of wisdom and knowledge and riches I know that he's inscrutable, and I know that he's unsearchable. And so I'm not going to raise up on my throne right now. I'm just going to bow before the one who sits on a throne. There's a lot of peace in that. That's what Paul is saying here. So part of renewing our mind is just believing that these things are true about God. And that's a journey of walking into those truths. And Paul's Paul's not done yet. I'm really just still in my introduction, okay? Let's keep going. Some of you are like, really? Seriously? No, we're almost done. Look at verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? He said, how many of y'all are God speed dial? Or text you to ask advice? Or has to Google an answer? No one's God's counselor. No one gives him advice. Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? Paul is saying, how many of y'all have ever done something so noble or so noteworthy that you've actually put God in your debt? How many of you offered God such a great gift? I'll give you my life. He's like, I own it already. I'll give you all this stuff. I gave it to you. We don't give anything back to God that wasn't his first already, which means God owes no man anything. We're not in his debt. So all of the grace and all of the mercy and all of the favor is just because of his goodness and kindness. Our very existence is a gift. Every ounce of laughter, every moment, every smile, every joy is God saying, I'm good. And I want you to both enjoy me and this life. But, but don't let it terminate on you. Give it away for the sake of others because it's all about my glory. It's all about my name, God says. And that's where Paul ends in verse 36. Look at this. Paul says, for from him, that's God, and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. 
So even at the end of all this, Paul reminds, hey, everything that we've been saying is true about God and your life then exists for God, by God, for his purposes and for his glory. And this, this document here, we want to renew our mind and we want to soak up the truths of God. We want them bubbling out of our lives. We want to be people of the word of God. But you need to know that no part of this book puts you at the center of it. There's nothing in this book that makes you the main idea. That from cover to cover, page to page, this book says it's about God and his glory, not about me, not about you. And at first it stings, but then there's freedom. That the world doesn't revolve around me. The world's not about me. That I exist for something greater. I exist for a bigger purpose and a bigger reason. My life has meaning and value. And God wants you to enjoy this life, know your purpose, make a difference, and come go with us and engage the whole person with the whole gospel anywhere, anytime, with anybody. Because God said, man, this book is about me and my glory. The story of the Bible is not about us. The story story of the Bible is about God. How do we renew our mind? We get in his word, number one, and two things I want you to write down. One, we, we remember. We remember. Paul's singing. He's worshiping. He's saying, remember who God is. Remember, this is who God is, that he has been faithful in every generation, that the word of God completely is trustworthy and encompasses all of who we are, and it changes the way we think, and it renews our mind. You know, in ancient Israel... When a new king would take the throne, do you know what the first thing he would have to do? He would be given a copy of God's word, and then he would be given parchment and a quill, and he would have to make his own copy word by word and line by line. In essence, saying to the king, the most important part of your job is to know this word, own it, let it live inside of you so that you can rule effectively so that you can thank God's thoughts after him, that his words are coming out of your life. You have to remember who God is. Renew your mind, it's possible. Remember who God is. And then second, repent. Say, God, I don't don't spend enough time thinking about dwelling on, believing, treasuring, owning your word. I want more of your words rattling around in my heart and in my mind. I want to celebrate who you are because I know who you are. I don't want to be conformed to the world. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind based on your word. And this is a point where science is now caught up to faith. They're now besties. How many of y'all have ever read about neuroplasticity? Neuroplasticity is amazing. Science is now catching up to the Bible. Science is now saying, you can actually check this, renew your mind. They don't use the word renew, but they say you can develop new patterns in your brain. It's almost like God said you could do that thousands of years ago. And they they give you a couple of ways, and I'll, I'll list them for you. Number one, they say you can regenerate new thoughts in your brain, both positive or negative, but they fade away over time if they're not reinforced regularly. Hello! You can create new patterns of thought in your mind, positive or negative, but they will fade over time if they're not reinforced regularly. That's why Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Engage with the God of your creation. 
Repent regularly. Hey, I'm God. Am I walking that way? God, I want to come back to you. I want to fill the well of my life. I want to act on it. Because I can't, in fact, rewire my brain. What Jesus said, renew your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You can do it, but it's got to be reinforced regularly. Number two, you know that memory guides and controls much of your learning. That's why Paul and the authors of Scripture time and time again said, remember, remember, remember. All throughout the Old Testament, when God would do something amazing and cool, they would set up stones of remembrance, altars of remembrance, because that's part of rewiring your bride, to remember who God is. Remember. And then three, one of the last things the scientist says, they said, hey, change is limited, check this, to instances when the brain is in the mood for it. How many of y'all sometimes just don't want to do stuff? Show of hands. See, this is why taking time and being intentional when you're at your best, when you're fresh, to engage with God is so important. This is why knowing what stirs your affections for your creator is so important. This is why knowing what feeds your soul is so important. Because you literally can renew your mind. Jesus said it 2,000 years ago, and now all of a sudden scientists are saying, hey, this stuff's true. And everybody's like, wow, you can do that. God's like, I've been saying it for a while. We can renew our mind. We, We can live differently. We can think differently. We can live differently, y'all. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And that's the invitation before you today. Take this week and ask the Lord to renew your mind. Remember who he is. Go back if you read nothing else but this verse all week long. Get in his word the depths of your riches, your wisdom, your knowledge. You're unsearchable. You're unscrutable. It's for your glory. Remember. And then repent, God. I'm living for more of me and not enough of you. So we're going to give you a moment to begin practicing now. We're going to pause. We're going to sing in a minute, but before we do, we want to pause. We're going to give you a moment to reflect, to remember and to repent. So first thing I want to call you to do right now is just, just remember. Ask the Lord to wedge deep in your heart or deep in your mind truths from today's sermon. That they wouldn't just be fleeting thoughts that would be some great things that you heard but didn't translate into life change. So just say, God, I don't, I don't want to forget this. to remember most about God. And then repent. Repent means to turn. It's to confess the way you're headed. It's not the way you need to go. So where where in your life 
is your mind not being renewed? Where in your life are you on the throne instead of Jesus? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you, you can flip those and begin with repentance. You can begin by saying, Jesus, I, I can't make my way to you. I can't figure this life out. I am a sinner. I am broken, and I need a Savior. I want to follow you, but I can't on my own. Would you open my heart? Would you call me to yourself? And if that's you today, then you can repent and say, I, I say no to sin and yes to Jesus for the first time, and that would be the most glorious decision that you could make. And today, right now, you can say, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me. We want to talk to you about that, celebrate with you. Fill that out on the connection card. Put, I want to follow Jesus. Drop it in the buckets. Take it to next step. Tell a friend, but don't leave here today without communicating that with us. Oh, the depths, Lord, of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of you. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Which of us, God, has given you a gift that he might need to be repaid? How unsearchable are your ways? How inscrutable are your judgments? We want to live for your glory. Help us to be those people. In Jesus' name, amen.